0: Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 36. While the disciples were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? And he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: I said to Mandy earlier, this may be one of the few times where the preacher falls asleep in his own sermon. but um, Hopefully that won't happen. <laughs> let's, uh, let's pray. As we come to this, we just had read, uh, Jesus opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would open our minds tonight uh, so that we could understand the Scriptures. We pray uh, that your Holy Spirit would teach us, uh, would give us such a a sight of of you and all that you have done, um, that it would fill us with joy and confidence as we go out this week, uh, that we may too be witnesses of these things. Amen. Have you ever had the thought that the church would be better off if Jesus was still here? Uh, you know, when we, when we had doubts about things, when we were worried or, or concerned that maybe we hadn't quite got it, we could, we could just bring people along and say, here he is. You know, we could see him ourselves, we could touch him. Our non-Christian friends could come along, scientists could do carbon testing on him, and we could say, here is a 2,000-year-old man who is still alive. It just seems straightforwardly obvious that having Jesus around now would be just better. It would be easier. But in this section from Luke's Gospel, he says otherwise. In fact, Luke Tells us that the greatest comfort for doubting disciples, the greatest encouragement for evangelism, is the absence of Jesus. You see, at the beginning of the reading, Jesus' presence puts fear and doubt into the hearts of the disciples. And, and then but at the end, when he's disappeared, they're going to the temple, praising God, full of joy. What is it? That, that transforms these disciples uh, from fearing, doubting people into ones who are full of confidence and joy. How, how does the absence of Jesus help us? Well, in order to understand the depths of, of comfort that the disciples receive from Jesus, we, we first need to really get into their fears and their doubts. And I think the most important thing is to remember, these guys are just like us. As we, as we meet them at the beginning here, they're basically doing what we're doing now. They're having a Sunday evening service. It's still that first day of the week, the first Easter Sunday. And they've even almost got the Anglican liturgy down. If you look at verse 34, it is true, the Lord has risen. I mean, all they need is he has risen indeed, hallelujah, and they're there. Um, they listen to eyewitness accounts of the resurrection and they affirm their belief in it. It it is true, they say, we've, we've seen him. And moments later, these people, these guys who are so confident in the resurrection, are plunged into fear and doubt because Jesus turns up. And this is... This is intense fear. This isn't kind of, "Oh, wow, Jesus, you made us jump. Could you knock next time, please?" This is this is end of the world wars, rumors of wars, fate, plague, famine, our lives are about to end kind of fear. They are, they're terrified. It's fear that gets into their hearts and their minds and just blows up their internal world. They're absolutely terrified. And from the outside, looking in, it it seems a bit silly. I mean, he's a ghost? Really? Is that that what startles them? Is that what terrifies them? But think, think of the alternative for them. A man that a few days ago they saw beaten crucified, suffocate and die, had a spear thrust into his side, was then buried in a tomb with a big stone for the door, is now, a few days later, in the middle of their living room, having just appeared, after having made a seven-mile trip with a couple of their friends and then disappeared from their sight. I think a ghost seems kind of like a fairly reasonable fear to have. And, and this fear, this, this terror, this absolute horror, then causes doubts to arise in their minds. Jesus says to them in verse 38, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in their minds? These guys who were so confident in the resurrection moments earlier now have no confidence at all. But fear does that. It, it takes away all our confidence. It, it makes us doubt everything that previously we were so certain of when it gets to a certain point, fear becomes the only thing that we're really sure of. So if you're here doubting God, struggling, does he care? Is he really there? Is he going to really help? Is it because you're afraid? Is it because of fear of some sort, fear of failure at work or school, fear of isolation or loneliness? What fears do you have that drive doubts in God? For these disciples' fear threw their world into chaos and caused them to doubt things they were so certain of, even when Jesus is standing right in front of them. So the disciples are thrown into a horrendous fear. What does Jesus do to calm their fears and reassure them? Well, the first thing he does in, in verse 38 is to question their fear and doubt. Why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your mind? You see how, how gentle that is. He, he doesn't, doesn't just command them, don't be afraid. What, you know, Why aren't you believing? Oh, great, you haven't, still haven't got it. I'm risen from the dead and you still haven't got it. No, he, he's gentle with them. He, he questions them. He invites them to see that they, they don't need to be afraid. You see, when when fear takes hold of us and it becomes the only certainty, often the door out is to question the fear itself. And it can be unsettling to, to have a friend who's struggling with doubts and fears because when they talk to you, the instant response, isn't it, is to, is to try and reassure them with certainty and and. and belief and no that's not right and don't worry and tell them what's true. You know, we we want to to give them everything that they can hold on to. And and that is eventually necessary, but but Jesus here starts by asking the question, by getting them to start doubting their doubts, to start questioning their fears. So having opened up the possibility that that their fears and their doubts don't necessarily tell the whole story, Jesus then begins to give his disciples repeated assurances that their fears are not grounded. He is not, in fact, a ghost. He has, in fact, been physically raised from the dead. Look at verse 39. He says, Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself... But then don't, don't just look. Touch me and see. Gra- grab hold of me. You know, if I'm physical, I can cope with that kind of thing. But then don't even just, just use your senses, height and touch. Th- think about it. D- does a ghost have flesh and blood? No. Well, I do. Therefore, I'm not a ghost. You see, he, he patiently gives them proof after proof, evidence after evidence. It's him. It's him. They don't need to doubt. They don't need to fear. But then he carries on. It, for us, it can be easy to, to lose patience when we're talking with people who doubt, with friends who are, are struggling with fear. We, we kind of get to a certain point, we think, well, I can't, I can't do anything else. I, I've told you why you don't need to fear. I've, I've, try, I've tried to help, and then I, it, you've got to do something now. But, but Jesus doesn't hang back, kind of waiting for them to, to jump up and say, okay, well, I'll, you know, I'll grab a hold and see if you're really there. No, he, verse 40, shows them his hands and his feet. He takes the initiative. He offers himself to them. And then, when their doubt turns from too terrifying to be true to too good to be true, he again takes the initiative do you have anything here to eat? And they give him some fish. It's always struck me as kind of a missed opportunity when we're trying to defend the resurrection that you know we could just say, well, he ate fish. But um, there we go. You see, Jesus is, is doing everything he can, everything he can, to reassure them in their doubts and their fears. But then the problem still lies there for us, doesn't it? Because he's not here, he's not eating fish, we can't touch him, we can't see him. All these things are still physical proofs. What what do we have? What do we have beyond this account? Is there anything else to comfort us in our doubts? Look at verse forty four. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He gets down to the foundations of their doubts. The the fear has, has thrown them into such confusion that they can't be sure of anything anymore. They can't be sure of the things they were just saying. They can't be sure of the things they have previously seen. And so Jesus says to them, everything that you have seen, the crucifixion and now the resurrection, everything that you have seen is not random. It's not out of control. It's not unexpected. It is all written about me in the scriptures that they're brought out of their whirling minds of confusion and given a firm place to stand on. So having calmed their fears about, their part, uh, about the present, uh, having calmed their doubts now about the past and what has happened, he directs them towards the future. You see, this, this comfort and assurance they've received is not just for them, he goes on in verse 46 to say that actually there's still more to come. The scriptures, yes, some have been fulfilled, but there's more to come. He says, this is what is written, that Christ will suffer, that's happened. He will rise from the dead on the third day, yes, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. That's not yet happened that the certainty of all the things that have happened, the certainty of the scriptures that have been fulfilled, is now the basis for confidence and courage for the things that still await fulfillment. You are witnesses of these things, he says. Now they have confidence to go forwards. But again... They, they have their own eyewitness testimony, don't they? Uh, and again, we don't have that. What, what, what more encouragement is there for us in our witnessing? We, we can't go up to someone and say, we have seen it happen, as these guys did. What, what is there to enable us to do this? Verse 49. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Do you see what he's saying? The disciples, seeing Jesus crucified and risen and ascended, is not enough for their witness. Them having their minds opened and given a Bible study from Jesus himself is not enough for their witness. What they need is the gift of the Holy Spirit, clothing them with power from on high. Nothing else, nothing else gives the sufficiency to witness to what God has done. And that is still true. You see, we could have the best apologetics, the best arguments about suffering and science and the historicity of the resurrection, and it's not enough we, we could have the greatest understanding of scripture and of how it is fulfilled in Christ and it is not enough. And, and we even have 2,000 years of hindsight to look through church history and see the spread of the gospel around the world and it would not be enough to engage, encourage us and enable us to witness. Because what if someone comes up with a better argument than ours? What if Somewhere in the world, the gospel seems to be receding rather than progressing. What if, what if it's just up to us? Then the doubts return, and the world is thrown into chaos again. If it depends on us, we're sunk. But Jesus says here, the work depends on God. The Father has promised the Holy Spirit. Jesus' absence enables the presence of of the Holy Spirit on these disciples and on us. And so just as we were in the same situation as them at the beginning of the passage in a Sunday evening service, we're in the same situation as them at at the end. You see, they, they have now an absent Jesus, the scriptures fulfilled and to be fulfilled, and the promise of power from the Holy Spirit. So the question is: What what are we depending on? What are we what are we dependent on in our in our witnessing? Are we getting our minds sharpened by apologetics? Are we are we digging into the scriptures? Is, those are good and, and important things, but but ultimately, ultimately, if we're depending on things that we can do, we will fall horribly short. And fail terribly. But if, if we wait, if we're clothed with power from on high. If we have the gift of the Holy Spirit enabling us. Then great things are possible. It is good for us. It is a good thing that Jesus is not Physically here. But it is only good if we benefit from his absence by pleading for the Holy Spirit and depending on the Holy Spirit in everything that we do. It addresses our fears, it addresses our doubts, it addresses our weaknesses, and Ultimately, it provides us with the joy and confidence that these disciples had as they waited and then as the gospel exploded from Jerusalem. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus' words here tell us that, that the Holy Spirit is promised to your followers. And we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to fill us, to enable us to witness to you, to give us power and strength and ability. We pray that you would lead us away from dependence on ourselves and that you would, by your Holy Spirit, Fill us with joy and confidence in all that you have done and in all that you are going to do so that we would see the continuing fulfillment of the scriptures in the spread of the gospel here in Oxford and throughout the world. Amen.